Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and well, earlier in the year, I would probably start the podcast by saying, well, it's going to be tough to make the eight from here, but now I'm starting to think that it's uh, going to be tough to make the top 16 from here. Well, Grape Viney is away for work for the next two weeks, so uh, tonight I'm joined by Demon Blogger, author of The Great Depression, a great follow on Twitter under the handle of at Demon, Demon Blog, otherwise known as Supermercado on Demonland.com. I know that he was off racing off to get a charger uh, for his phone, so I will just check to see whether he's there. Supermercado, you there yet? I am. I haven't uh, moved off to another country in distress about the uh, the way the season's going. That wasn't just a convenient excuse to run out my door and out on the podcast yeah well uh i'm 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 ready for this season to be over uh to tell you the truth um it's it's been an absolute disaster we're going to talk about that tonight um there were uh some tense uh confusing moments uh for me uh during some other games this week uh during the Essendon gold coast game uh where i just didn't know who to barrack for uh, but ultimately, even though my, I have a deep hatred for, for Essendon, that lost out to my desire not to finish dead last, uh, despite the fact that landing pick one could be the only silver lining of a disastrous year. Uh, but then I had the thought that perhaps, you know, if Gold Coast were to win another game, then maybe they wouldn't get gifted a priority pick, uh, pushing out. That, that, no, if they don't win another game, they, they wouldn't, they'd get gifted a priority pick and that push our pick back to third. Um, and if that happens, you know, it would just be the icing on the shit cake of year we've had. So, um, <laughs> Well, I must admit I went through a lot of the same thought process while I watched the end of that Essendon Gold Coast game. But eventually I came down on Gold Coast was two, I think two wins and about 20% below us. So I thought there's no way that they're going to win one more game and make up a 20-something point percentage, we hope. <laughs> so I came down on the, the laugh at Essendon uh, option, which sadly fell short. But obviously the the uh, compensation is that we're pretty sure now that we're not going to finish last. And imagine if uh, about 20 weeks ago we'd been having this conversation and we'd said at this time of the year after round 19, the thing we'd be happy about is that we're not going to finish last. I don't think anyone <laughs> would have believed it. Well, no, particularly because everyone was putting so much stock in the champion data uh, stats, uh, which many people didn't. And uh, obviously they don't know what they're talking about. But uh, yeah, I was definitely uh, not thinking. Of, I, I, it wasn't even in my mind that we could miss the finals, uh, to tell you the truth, at the beginning of the year. And uh, now we're, you know, fighting for uh, the scraps of uh, the picks for next year. Well, I mean, I had us to come fifth because I actually didn't think that we were that particularly good last year. Uh, we, by round 20 last year, which we're going into round 20 now, at the end of round 20 when we lost that game to Sydney, there was people who wanted to burn the, burn the whole place down and sack everybody and concede and start again uh, and we we very narrowly got over west coast in that next game and i would like to think even if we didn't we would have still beaten gws and qualified for the finals and then we got on that beautiful two friday nights in a row run that i think made everything look a lot better but it turns out i think that the preliminary final has been more of a 
uh, indication of how our, our season was going to go than the two finals ahead of it. So I'm disappointed. I'm obviously disappointed. How could you not be in these circumstances? But I didn't rate us as highly as I thought some did. And I think champion data, look, you can hang it on them till the cows come home, but they're, they're ruthlessly going off numbers. They're, they have no interest in changing trends and intangibles and relationships between people. Uh, I think that they just ruthlessly go off numbers and you can see when they get come up with things like the, the player rankings for games and you'll see players that you can't understand why they're at the top or you can't understand why they're at the bottom. They're just operating on a, a ruthless data set. So I think when that, when anything that they put out like that saying something's the best, it's the best by the stats that they've already got, it's not an indication of where things are going to go. So you, it's best to take that kind of thing with a grain of salt. Yeah, I must say the only thing that it uh, was benefited was a bit of clickbait uh, f- for the headlines, uh, particularly because <laughs> everyone had us uh, coming first. Uh, confusion was also had been you know, raining down on me and other games too. I have also a deep hatred of Carlton. I have mates who had deserted them and are now, they're now on cloud nine and they're as arrogant as ever. And I, I can't stand that they seem to be getting their shit together and we're in, we're in the situation we're in. But then I'm like, yeah, let, let them win a few more games and get out of our good draw bracket. Uh, let them keep their rookie coach who might get found out next year. Uh, but this year is absolutely killing me. Yeah, I don't blame you. I can't wait for it to end either. Yet at the same time, I just rearranged my life to be able to go on Saturday night and I have no idea why. <laughs> Because I think it is going to be a very ugly evening. But, uh, but we'll, we'll talk, probably talk about that game a bit later. But uh, when we played them last time, we were in a bit of strife as well. And we all thought we were going to get belted. And we held on for, for most of the game. Or we just sort of stayed within striking distance. But uh, they drew away at the end. But, um, but maybe it won't be as big a shellacking as uh, we all think. But uh, it's starting to look that way. And if not that, then we can play the Pies into form the week after. Yeah, that's right. Followed by the ultimate Friday night game, the battle of who could care less against <laughs> Sydney. Uh, the, the, surely the worst Friday night game since Melbourne Fremantle 1999 when Tony Modric kicked 10. The, the AFL must be pulling their hair, hair out uh, on that one, but uh, still a better decision than giving Carlton four home games, uh, four Friday night games last year. <laughs> so. When they made the draw, they obviously thought it was going to be a good idea. They obviously didn't watch the Sydney-Melbourne game at the MCG last year, or they would have known that that combination's rancid under all circumstances. But yes, you can't blame them. I was expecting as part of the round 23 draw for them to do a switcheroo on round 22 as well and stick a better game into the Friday night bracket. But uh, fortunately, they they didn't uh, think to get into those shenanigans. Anyway, we're, you know, p- picks one, two, three, a better draw. None of that's going to solve anything. Uh, we have much bigger problems than that. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's let's vent about the, the, the game we just played. Uh, but wait, actually, before that, I, m- I might just get some housekeeping out of the way. If you'd like to join our program tonight to discuss... Any of the topics that we talk about, give us a call on 03-9016-3666. That's 03-9016-3666. Or just give us a Skype us at uh, Demonland31. If you're listening to the show live, join us in the chat room tonight uh, where you can ask us questions or, uh, or post comments. Just head over to demonland.com slash podcast. 
if you are listening to this at a later time uh, via SoundCloud on demonland.com or via Apple or Android podcasting apps, give us a subscribe. Uh, you'll receive updates when a new show drops. Don't forget to leave a favorable review. It really does help more people find us. We're now on Spotify. If you want to get the show that way, go to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred method of listening. On social media, we're at Facebook, facebook.com slash demonland31, Twitter at demonland. Instagram at Demonland31 or search for Demonland Podcast on YouTube and you can listen to some of the interviews that we've done uh, with current and past players and coaches. Uh, if you just love talking about the D's 24-7 uh, all year round, just join up to Demonland.com and you can chat with other D's fans about this once great club. And now... At what point? How many years before the internet was created was that? <laughs> That was a long, long time. The internet was wasn't even a gleam in some uh, supercomputer. <laughs> yeah. They stop every once in a while. They're writing someone a telegram. That was the last time Melbourne was good. That's true. I mean, there must have been some uh, some uh, some early form of uh, of message boards where people sent letters back and forth to each other talking about their footy club. Yeah, how people? Let's just say, let's go to like the mid seventies. I'd love to hear from people who are around in the mid seventies. Not now, because this is not what we're doing tonight. But what was the equivalent? Did you pick up the phone and just speak to one mate about it? or At the pub, maybe? The, go to the pub and talk about it. And at work? It, it wasn't just at the fingertips to uh, go mental on the internet like it is now. Um, probably a good thing. Yeah, probably is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this was the fifth game in a row where we have been almost completely impotent uh, in the last quarter, um, we capitulated against Brisbane, Carlton, Bulldogs, Eagles, now the Saints, for various different reasons, whether it was injuries or running out of gas or or what have you. Um, but it's been sort of the um, staple of, of this year. We haven't been able to run out games. We've been in positions to win in a couple of them and can't get the job done. Yep. Port the first time, West Coast the first time, it's, uh, and then Platinum, I'm sure that the only one we pulled a comeback off in was the Hawthorne game. Although, did we get in front and then they came back? I can't remember. Either way, yes, you're right. It's been a, a lot of last quarter collapses this year, which is always an issue, but at the same time, win the damn game before three-quarter time would be nice. Our biggest win this year is by about four goals, and even then we have to come down from about 30 points behind to win that. Yeah, it's it's been frustrating. As I said, I can't wait for the for the year to end. Um, according to the AFL Match Centre, uh, after the game, or was at some point during the game, they had written, St Kilda's transition game has been far more effective than Melbourne's. The Saints have won 41 defensive half intercepts and launched 37 points from these. While the Demons have won 50, so that's we've won nine more uh, defensive half intercepts without generating any resulting score. So we've had nine more intercepts on the on the half back. Um, I can't get a score out of that. They've scored 37 points from those. Yeah, I can believe that. Well, didn't we concede 13 goals from turnovers? That's that's my, that's my that's my next thing. Uh, let's talk turnovers. Um, According to George on the Outers Match Report on Demonland, and well, let me just—I uh, mean, you can find that on Demonland.com. And before I go on, 
Uh, kudos to George, who has to do a write-up each week, and he never fails to hand that in within 12 hours of some of these soul-crushing defeats. Um, I can barely scroll past posts on social media trying to avoid seeing anything about the game, lest I throw my phone out the window, and he's having to relieve that horror. And you do too, Super Mercado. I know you do a, a report. Also, <laughs> oh, it's cathartic uh, yeah. to, to do that. All right. Um, well, that's, that's good to hear. But according to George's report, uh, we set a new record for the most turnovers resulting in opposition scores. Um, I'm not sure. Is that an actual record or, or is a stat recorded? Um, I thought he might have been facetious, but I have a feeling he's not. It could be legit. We allowed the Saints to score a whopping 13 goals, seven directly from turnovers. You know, that 13 goals, seven out of 15 goals, 14. And for comparison, we only scored 22 points from uh, turnovers. Um, it's, I think theirs is 85 points. Um, it's, it's terrible. It, it, was, it was a very disappointing evening, but I must say I, I kept my, my bile in until about the last 10 minutes when we completely ran up the white flag and surrendered, and then it just flipped from trying to be very calm to absolutely wanting to sack everybody and call an AGM and go go crazy. So it just it was that last 10 minutes really annoyed me because they didn't fight the game out. And that's the funny thing. You come home and you see that we conceded 13 goals and turnovers and you think that's the worst thing of all time. What were they doing? At the time, at the time I was like, eh, whatever. This is It's just another crap game and a crap season. Who cares? And it wasn't until, like I said, they, they ran up the white flag and totally capsized that I got really angry. And then I came home and saw that stat and I was like, why didn't I get angry early? Yeah, maybe we didn't notice it because we were still in the game. I mean, uh, yeah. 10 minutes in, we were 13 points up or however long into the quarter it was. Um, we're in a position to win it. And I thought... Well, I've always got in the back of my head that we're going to get run over the the, yeah. the old Cuthbertson uh, line or whatever uh, whatever you refer it to. Always Chris Sullivan, pl- Chris Sullivan that's right. Uh, Chris Sullivan line is always in the back of my mind. So, um, yeah, I I got no words. Even when we were winning, though, I was sitting there thinking, and I might have been premature in thinking it. Like I was, I was going through my head thinking, what are the worst wins I've ever seen in my life? Because. For context of the season, for performance and for opposition, there can't have been many worse wins than that in a long time. And, of course, there were a lot of years where every single win was treated like gold, no matter how gritty and sloppy it it was, whereas now we've got slightly raised expectations from last year, which should reset to nothing and we should just be happy to win again at the start of next year. But I was really thinking, like, has, has there been a worse win in my 30 years of following Melbourne and by the time I pondered that we were behind so <laughs> I've never got around to actually looking at the worst wins of my, my supporting career but I just even when we were winning I was thinking even if we lose I'm not going to get upset about this they're just they're all reaching for the line everyone's trying to get to the end of the season I, I would be astounded if we won another game from here even getting potentially May, potentially Melchon back in the side, I would be shocked because they all just look mentally blown to pieces and just dying to get to the end of the season. So that's that's how I looked at it. I was looking at it like I told someone last week, I said, relax when they went off about that loss. Relax, this is all the 2020 preseason. 
And that's what I was looking at it as. But then that last 10 minutes, even though the putting up of the white flag is connected to the fact that they're all searching for the finish line, that really just annoyed me in that last 10 minutes. And I've just, um, I really left upset for having bothered to go out of my house and watch that. And I could have sat at home and watched it on television. It seems that a lot of people did uh, watch it on the telly. Um, I've noticed both the games I've been to at uh, Marvel this year have been severely outnumbered uh, in the crowd. And it seems like um, these couple of home games that we have at the G in the next three weeks, um, uh, club's not going to be happy. They would have penciled those in as uh, sort of the, because we didn't have the uh, Queen's birthday or the Anzac day, they would have looked at these games as being uh, sort of the, you know, the the money makers to make up for not having those big days. And certainly this year, that's not going to happen. Yeah, um, given the position Sydney's in, I'm fascinated to see what the crowd is for that game. That Like it could be the lowest ratings in a long time on a Friday night. It might, it might also be the lowest crowd on a Friday night in a very long time because Sydney fans are going to be over it. This is going to be the, what the second final series they've missed in about 15 years. And our fans are already over it because we've had expectation dangled above us and then snatched away cruelly. It could be a very low audience that night. So sorry, Channel 7. Yeah, Channel and 7. The MCC and the Melbourne Chief Financial Officer. It's going to be an absolute shocker. Yeah, they're not going to be happy about that one. Um, back to this game, uh, Saints players just, they cleared the ball so easily at stoppages. I think we, uh, the centre bounces was about even, but they smashed up the, the stoppages. Our players just seemed to stand there and just watch them go. It's so disappointing watching a team that was so good last year, but this year they can't defend, they can tackle, the handball, handballing's terrible, just not playing smart footy at the moment. And one of the things that really annoyed me was that Gorn was battling so hard. He was battling not only in the ruck, but at ground level. Yep. He was winning clearances. He tried so hard and it was like, where's everyone else? Yeah, he's the last guy in defence to trying to take a mark. Um, speaking about defence, in defence, all of our backmen just seem to want to either all go for the mark or spoil guys going for the mark they're all up in the same contest spoiling each other flying for the ball and then leaving one of their players out the back for an easy goal um and the funny thing was it seems so disorganized but a week before i was praising it that it was the next big thing it was like this is going to you know we've finally got the defense back together this is going to be the 2020 back line and then i'm not saying suggesting may wouldn't have been roped into that three stooges routine of people crashing into each other and falling over. But just with him out, you go one week later to a team that's got a much less fearsome forward attack than West Coast, and they look like they had absolutely no idea what they were doing. So I just think, like I said, I think in the background, everyone has just packed it up for the year, and they're all looking to next year. And probably a few of them, not really in the team, but a few on the list probably know that they're finished next year. And I think that there's a lot of players who are just really dying to get this season over with and get on with the next one, as we all are. I think May would have made a big difference out there. Just, just It seems like he really marshals the troops, and I, I don't think we would have had all those players flying uh, for things. He certainly might have put a stop to that. Um, you've got Jake Lever there, and I would have thought he would have that leadership there. But um, 
I read somewhere someone on Demonland said that uh, they had kicked a goal at one stage and he was trying to gather all the backmen together to to sort of start marshalling them and telling them what they should do and they pulled him off the he got called off the ground um, and you that's know that's what you get for trying to be a leader yeah well <laughs> that's what I'm saying like and that's so more that. that's more because of that need to, to get people off the ground these days very quickly after a goal because they can't sort of have the, the runners on the ground. Um, but, yeah. Uh, it is so crucial to rotate back men because they're going to get so tired. I suppose when they play in our back line, they probably do get tired. <laughs> they do. Um, that uh, Josh Bruce and Tim Membry, they must leap out of bed on the day that they're fixtured to play us. Uh you know, perhaps with May and the team, things might have been different, but they, they just had a day out like, they just always have a day out like no other when they play against us. Uh, Josh Bruce usually can't hit the side of the barn. Uh, he's kicked four straight against us. Uh, there's been seven goals between the two of them. I had a look at this sort of their stats uh, against Melbourne, all-time stats against Melbourne and against other teams, and... Both of them are quite high in relation to what they've scored against other teams. So they must just love playing us. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> and I'm not blaming the back line here, but the ball comes in at yep. such rapid speed that it's no wonder the back line looks in disarray half the time because the ball's flinging from one end to the other. We've got absolutely no forward pressure. And I know that Garlett allegedly would have been there to provide forward pressure in an ideal world. But I think we've seen enough of Garland over the last couple of years that uh, there should have been an understanding that we needed to look somewhere else for that as well. We needed another option because we had nothing forward pressure-wise. And it just pings from one end to the other like it's shot out of a pinball machine. And it's no wonder the back line get caught out of position because they're just under siege and not with the slow ball movement that we're putting the ball into 50 with. They're getting just rocketed from one end to the other with no one laying a hand in the middle. So I think that's something they definitely need to look at next year. Um, it just seems um, that our players, are, the majority of them are, in general, are just devoid of disposal skills, confidence um, and belief, constantly give it giving it straight back to opposition under under pressure. Um, and it's disappointing that some of our senior players were having brain fades and passing to opposition. Salem did it a couple of times, and he's usually fantastic. Brayshaw... Yeah, he was way down on his kicking. Yeah, Brayshaw, while he's kicking at times, has been questionable, but it was bad. Lever a couple of times, had some torrid ones. Jonesy, Frost with the Frost ball. <laughs> I mean, I've been happy in general with Frost this year, but he does have those brain fades. and uh, he's got to take the good with the bad when it comes to a player like that. Yeah, I like it when a he takes on. has attacking, an attacking benefit, you take that occasionally it's not going to work. Yeah. Whereas, and I don't want to join the Oscar McDonald pylon because there's, it's, it, it gets very unfair at times, the pylon into him, but he doesn't do anything attacking so to me, I would rather Frost make a mistake trying to attack than Oscar McDonald make a make a mistake when he'll take a mark or get a free kick and just kind of stand there looking for someone 20 metres away to kick it to. Like There is no run. There's no setting up the play. I don't think you can get away with being a backman like that in this day and age. You need to be 
setting up a play to do exactly what happens to us, going ping, 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 and it's in the other forward line. Uh, and I think that's definitely something they need to address next year. And I think to a degree, May it is not the solution to just getting the ball moving, but at least he sets the play up and moves it forward and gets things going. It's just having the links in the chain that take it to the other end. Well, thank God for May. Uh, and, and hopefully he's not going to be an inj- another injury-prone player because um, he's done that hammy. That's the second time this year. And maybe it's because of the lack of pre-season and coming, uh, coming to the club in bad shape and with a full pre-season under his belt, maybe he can get some of those issues out of, his, out of the way. But well, I understand he's a pretty durable player. At Gold Coast, when he wasn't biffing people, <laughs> he was yeah. It's, so it's not like he's got a ten-year injury no. streak behind him. So hopefully he comes back day one of preseason uh, in perfect condition, good to go, and he will be an absolutely crucial player in that backline. Uh, but with with May in the team, I, I think Omac doesn't get a look in. Uh, he just seemed so far behind his player every time they took the mark. And I know, as you said, the ball's ping-ponging straight into there. Um, so, but he is very far behind, and more so yeah. uh, may sort of seem to be. Uh, well, he didn't play this week, but uh, from what I've seen of him, and we haven't seen a lot of him in the Demons uh, for the D's this year, but um, he's uh, uh, very far far ahead of uh, Omac uh, in terms of ability. So, and for me, if May didn't play this week, I'd rather send Petty back into defence. And playing there because that's where we 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 enjoy him taking a big mark and everything, but that's where he's going to play in the end down there. So if we've got the cattle down there that he doesn't have to play there, I'm more than happy for him to play up front for the rest of the season. But I would rather him go into defence than play Oscar in defence at the moment. Nothing to do with winning or losing because we're not going to win no matter what we do. But it's just we may as well start developing the next generation because, you know, Oscar's only 23, but you know, he's played 70-something games now and his career's just not kicked off. The funny thing is he's actually our last Rising Star nominee. That's how long it's been since we've had one. So we've managed to uh, to, to blow his career up in the, in the in this space between getting the Rising Star nomination and us getting another one. But I really don't think... I think he might be contracting contracted for next year. So, you know, decent depth player, but he's never going to be a first-choice defender now, I think. And I can see why they went so hard the last couple of years to go out and get key defenders to make sure that we didn't have to rely on him in the future. Our um, our starting forward line uh, on the night, uh, Fritch, Smith, Petty, Petraka, Lewis and Hunt, uh, it's not exactly world-class, <laughs> Um, it would have just by naming those players and, and uh, Fritch and Petrak have obviously been uh, been pretty good the last couple of weeks. Hunts has had had a decent year, he's faded in and out, but uh, it's the other players listed there like uh, Smith, who's had his injury issues, Petty, a backman, and Lewis, a backman. Uh, so. Hmm, what I don't, I don't understand with Smith is, and this is where you'd love to actually sit down and review the game with an assistant or someone who really knows what they're talking about. How did at the end of the first quarter he do that beautiful pack mark, got a great run at the ball, jumped over the top, took the mark, kicked the goal. I, I don't reckon I saw him jump like that at a mark for the rest of the game. 
Like how, where does, where does that go? Like how do we not manage to kick to his advantage again, basically for the next three quarters? Because he can take a mark. And that's the thing that separates, say, him from Proust, who couldn't catch a cold against West Coast, that we pick Smith because Smith can take a mark. But we probably kicked it at Proust five more times in that West Coast game than we kicked it at Smith in this game. And he just didn't get near it again. I just don't understand how we go from from one to the other. Like, is it what he's doing? Is it what St Kilda did? Is it what we're doing? Is it our rancid entries into the 50? I'd really be interested in sitting down and watching it with a, an assistant coach's eyes on to understand what happened with him. Because I think Smith does show a lot. And I'd be more than happy to keep him on the list next year because I think he's a capable player when he gets a go. He's, you know, he's never going to be Tony Lockett, but he can do the job well enough. But it's just, how do you get him into it more? And that's often the problem we have with Wiedemann as well. Like, it wasn't until the end of last year when he came into that West Coast game. It was either a late inclusion or he just got picked that week for the first time. And that was like the first time he'd ever had more than, say, 10 disposals in a game. Yeah. And and that run of three, four weeks he had was the top, most foremost disposal he'd ever had in a game. Finally, we got the ball into his hands and he did good things. Whereas this year again, he goes back to having seven disposals a game or eight disposals a game. And, you know, everyone thinks he's a bust. How do we get the ball into his hands more? How do we get the ball into Smith's hands more rather than just do, running into the midfield and just going, well, boy, just hoisting it into the forward line and hoping for the best, which is a tactic that did, hasn't worked this year. And... To be fair, it didn't work for a lot of last year either. Like, even when we were, I think, what was the game, Gold Coast? We beat Gold Coast by about 70, which is not to be sniffed at, of course. But we did it via the most inside 50s ever in a game. So it's not like just lobbing the ball inside 50 and hoping for the best is something that started this year. It was very popular last year as well. I think we set records for inside 50 last yeah. year. And last year we came out as the highest scoring team in the competition. So... This year, we're going to have, again, a lot of inside 50s, but we're going to be way down that list. Again, that's something they've got to address. You can't just say Tom McDonald's going to come back. That's He can't do it on his own. It's, it's how do you get the ball into Wiedemann's hands? How do you get the ball into Smith's hands? Where are the people on the deck? It will help, obviously, having Melsham there for more than six weeks in the year. What's that forward mix? And obviously, we're going to have a new forward coach. I think that's pretty obvious because the other one's been put on special project. (laughs) So there's going to be new thinking there, but it's not just that. It's, in the words of Simon Goodwin, the connection between the midfielders as well. And I think Brayshaw is the one that really frustrates me with this, is just getting the ball and just turning around and just hoofing it into the 50 without even looking where he's kicking it. It's just like, get it away from me as quickly as possible. That's not not forward craft. Like, I'm, I'm no you know, tactician and genius on football, but I know that just turning around and just kicking the ball into 50 blindly is not a percentage way to go about kicking goals. So they've got a lot of stuff they can address next year. It's just getting the right players. It's where do you get the crummer from? Who plays next to McDonald? Do you just Bruce eventually um, come in as a forward as well? I've got to work all that stuff out before next year because they're kidding themselves if they reckon we can just put our 
take our injury list, hopefully empty it by round one next year, and suddenly we're going to start kicking 20 goals a game again. Well, it wasn't happening sort of at the beginning of the year. Um, so, and, and I think Viney's also one of those ones that just hoofs it in there at times. Uh, but I also think that the, the chaos uh, play-on-at-all-cost game style just does not suit our, our skill level. Um, and we have no possession uh, tempo game style to counter a run on, you know, to be able to cool down the opponent uh, when they're hot. And, you know, we simply can't hold a lead at any stage of the game. It's, yeah. they've got to work all yeah, this we've, out. We've won one game by more than three goals. And even then we had to come back from five goals down. It, it tends to be a lot of times when we do go five goals down that we suddenly start playing. It's, and that's happened for years. Yeah. I haven't pinned yeah. that on Goodwin. That's happened since Ruse. Yeah, that was in the Ruse time. It would have happened earlier than that, except we would go five goals down and just keep going further behind. <laughs> yeah. But once we stabilised it under Ruse, we had so many times where we launched just these blistering comebacks from a mile behind and just fell short. And you stood out the time, you're like, oh, well, young team. Yeah, yeah. Well, it can't be the coach's fault because it's Paul Ruse. Um, but now it, you just it's hard to understand how we still still do that and still have to fight back from miles behind to win. And then, you know, you get places, you get games like this week where we shoot to a three-goal lead and then shut the gate for 20 minutes and barely get a kick. Uh, like, will you... First, yeah, well, like St Kilda could barely get a touch and it was like the moment St Kilda got their hand on the ball, we just went, we, that'll do us. And then we got a couple of lucky... Not lucky goals. We've got a couple of goals at the end of the quarter that made it look a lot better mm. than it would have been if we hadn't had those goals. Uh, were you fooled at all by that first five minutes? No. Nah. <laughs> nah. You know what game made me think of? Last year, the one lever did his knee against the Bulldogs. Yep. When we'd come off the five weeks of just murdering everybody. Yeah, we hadn't lost a quarter. exactly <laughs> the same thing. Kicked three goals at the start of the game before we got a touch. Yeah. And that day, because I was high on life, I sat there thinking, the moment we get, we get our hands on the ball, we're going to smash them here. And this, a year and a half on, my, my the reverse. <laughs> negativity is, is so much. The veil of neg- negativity is back on. And I was thinking, oh, God, when St Kilda get their hand on the ball, they're going to smash us. And, yeah, they didn't smash us. But for we were very lucky, very lucky to be in that game at the start of the last quarter and to even go eight points up at the start of the last quarter. I would think it would have been absolute robbery if we won that game. Um. I think I'm I'm done with Nibbler. Uh, George on the outer counted uh, five goals from his turnovers um, and an inability to pick up the ball. Uh, he missed uh, hitting up both Lewis and Fritch, and that cost us uh, two certain goals. He's had a 42.9% disposal efficiency. It's just not good enough. Uh, I think now that Melksham is back, but look, I don't think Melksham will be back in the team considering he only played a, a short time in the resis. Uh, but once he's back, it's a straight swap. Um, he played the last three quarters. Oh, he did play three quarters. Yeah, he came on after quarter oh, time. Oh, for some reason I thought he only played two, but uh, that, that makes me happy to hear yeah, he played three. He came on after quarter time and played the rest of the game from there. Yeah, I would agree. Look, I think Neil Ball, and I remember earlier last year, people were, were very down on him and, and fair enough too. And I just think that he had a little bit of a renaissance towards the end of last year, but it's just... It's, it's like Oscar McDonald again. It's like we're getting on there. We're getting up to 60 games, 70 games. And it's just, you, they're just not adding the attacking style that we need. Um, and in this case, causing turnovers that then 
as we know, became 13 goals for St Kilda. Not all his, obviously, but, you know, five, I think you said. Well, that was George. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going by his. I'm not sure that's, where he got those stats for. So, yeah. I think that, again, not a, not a player that you would argue against having on the list, but not someone who you'd want to have their round one next year, if we're serious. Um... Uh, my next, uh, my next point. Uh, been saying this most of the year. We just uh, simply lack uh, depth, and uh, when you're topping up nearly a third of the team with depth players, you, you're going to get inconsistent output from week to week. Uh, last week, Grapeviney and I were praising, you know, the Wagners, um, but I don't think I can muster the same praise this week. Um, and they're not alone. We're, we're playing with a lot of players who simply would not be considered for a game uh, were we to have all the cattle available. And, you know, it certainly doesn't help results that yeah. way. And, and I think the Wagners like that, you just be happy when you get a solid game out of them. You, you, you're never going to get... You never. Josh Wagner and Corey Wagner between them will... I don't, I'm sure they never have, and they probably never will get a brown low vote. They're just solid players. They... If you don't notice them, they've probably had a good game. So I think that they're the players that you can have sort of coming in and out of the side during the year, but we just can't rely on players like that. And, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone was going off about our depth and how awesome our depth is, and it's been smashed this year. But that the chair just goes to show once you're, once you're that far down in depth and you're relying on players like that, then, um, you know, you're obviously not going to make the finals. Yeah. And that's the thing. But I, but I think there's a difference between not making the finals and falling apart against St Kilda, who are also not going to make the final, uh, sitting only above a team who are absolutely dreadful. And that's and when I, I actually wrote that in my blog, how bad they were, and then they almost beat Essendon. I almost had to go in and do an edit and put a brackets and say, you know, sorry, I didn't think they were going to win that game. But generally, they have been pretty bad. I mean, they've still got a better percentage than we did in 2013. So they're not the worst team I've ever seen in, in history. They've won more games than we did in 2013, and they've got a better percentage. So they're not the worst team of all time. But how do we get to a point where we're only just above them? And the injuries. Look, I'm never going to say it's an excuse, because I think we had enough of our team back this week that we could have done better against a team like St Kilda, even though they seem to have our measure the last couple of times we've played them. But it's just a question of if we'd, say, survived round one, if if Jones and Viney had an, another practice game to have played, to have come into round one in a better way, would the atmosphere around the club have, have helped prop us up a bit more? And would we have finished 10th or 11th or 12th or something like that? rather than 17th. The sad thing is that finishing 17th in the long run, as embarrassing as it is now, is actually better than finishing 11th or 12th. And that's, that's you know, I hate to think of it in those terms because I really do want to win every time we play. I think I was one of the few people uh, in the world who didn't want us to tank back in 2009 until till the last round where I was like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> we might as well go along with it now. But... I don't think that that's the easy route to success, but at the same time, it's statistically and, and on balance of probability, based on draws, based on uh, players we're going to get, based on the trade options that, that we then get from having a better second round pick and a, 
better third round pick, et cetera, et cetera. It probably is a good thing in the end, but I just hate fostering this loser mentality of this club. And I, I really thought we were out of it last year. And now here we are back down the, back down the bottom. We're back in crisis. The, the club seems to be starting to leak again, like it didn't under Peter Jackson. You know, there's all these debates about, you know, who players we need to get rid of and sacking the coach and things like that. And it's just sad that it's a year on here we are, but yeah, like I said, the injuries, there is a point to it. You can't write it off as the whole excuse, but I was sent something by someone who we'll call Matt uh, on, on Twitter earlier when I posted that I was coming on the podcast tonight and he sent me his analysis of Melbourne versus Richmond versus Collingwood, uh, best 22 players missing. And he has us on 117 games missed of the best 22 versus 92 for Richmond and 71 for Collingwood. And for instance, Collingwood now is being treated like you know, the, the greatest hard luck story of all time. But they're consistently, by his analysis, they had five best 22 players out, where we, whereas we had eight out this week. So I don't want to use injuries as an excuse, but I think it's certainly a contributing factor. But I think it's a contributing factor that hasn't been covered up by the fact that we've just dropped our bundle at the same time. And I think the, the cult of contested possession has been pretty much, I won't say discredited because it will always be important, but I think we, we went too hard into that. And I think that's been exposed a bit this year. And again, I think that we're just going to get these last few weeks is the players who are just going to be, they're going to be sailing through to the end. Probably not many of them are in trouble. Uh, most of them are contracted. The players who are playing are all pretty much safe. So what's the point of them? overexerting themselves from their perspective and getting injured and you know, missing pre-season or missing the start of next year. I don't think there's going to be much tension in the team to, to feel like they have to win for the rest of the year. So I actually think that could a couple of these games towards the end of the year could get quite ugly. Uh, if you want to join us uh, on the show tonight, uh, 03, uh, 9, uh, 0390163666, that's 0390163. Uh, triple six. Um, uh, in the chat room, Am Dam Demon has asked: Is it possible that the club has taken a two-year approach, uh, so that the start of the se- at the start of the season they looked at 2019 and 2020 as one season? Uh, he says that it seems like there was an assessment that this year would be a write-off. Uh, they just couldn't publicise it due to the history of not taking. Uh, so big risks were taken, uh, surgeries, etc. Uh, probably thinking we'd end up around eighth and then gear up uh, for a second half of season 2020. I don't think they would have gone in saying, looking at the two seasons as one season. Uh, I think they probably knew that we'd be in a little bit of trouble early on, but I think they probably thought we could right the ship and weren't expecting uh, the the mass injuries that we've had where we've had, you know, sort of the whole year, sort of a third of the team out. So I don't think they factored uh, that into it. But um... lost a lot of players during the year as well, which can't be, can't, you can't play that down. Like obviously the preseason uh, was an issue because we had so many players coming off for surgeries. But even then, after that, we've had just players dropping like flies throughout the year. I do know, obviously, there was that story in the paper about that was a, a leak, a classic. Melbourne Football Club leak about how before the year they did say 
we're in a bit of trouble this year because of all the injuries. But again, I think that you couldn't have foreseen then. You couldn't have foreseen May getting injured. You couldn't have foreseen uh, McDonald later getting injured, Melksham, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think Jeddah, Jeddah as well. So I think they probably thought this year was going to be a struggle and they might not have internally thought we were going to be a premiership contender or even a top four contender. But I certainly don't think anyone thought it was going to be this bad at the start of the year, just looking at what we came out of preseason with. And just uh, just finally, uh, from the game, I only had one positive uh, that came out, besides Max, of course. Uh, been impressed with Max, Max all year. Uh, my one positive uh, uh, that was Petrarca. Uh, I think yep. he's really matured over the last two or so months as being consistently good player and he's building more confidence. Probably needs to learn to stay in the game for longer as he fades out at times. Uh, but I believe that, uh, you know, stints on the ball will help that. Um, you know, I think he really needs to have a bit more confidence in his set shot ability and not look for a pass off. Uh, but these past two months, he's been getting closer to the Petrarca that we've been screaming for. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was the best behind Max, which was a very big drop between best and second best. And he didn't play anywhere near four quarters, but no one really did. No. And he, what he added this week that we've cried out for all year was two goals, at least, from nowhere. And, and that's what we've missed this year. I'd mm. be really interested to see what our goals from set shots versus goals from open play is like, because it doesn't seem that we've kicked all that many crumbed goals and just goals out of our ass, whereas this week he got that one and that one he got in the first quarter was great, uh, where he sort of screwed it on the opposite side of the boot through from on an angle, and then he kicked that one where he just stuck his foot out and got the goal, and that's exactly what we need. And yeah. I, I've never really liked him as a forward. I think he should definitely needs to be, be further up the ground, at least, I guess, what they'd call a high half forward. But if he's going to be inside 50, it's good that he can pick those goals out because we haven't got many other players who can do that. And I, yeah, I thought he was very good. And unfortunately it looks like he's one of those players who f- are a pretty good set shot from 50, but a terrible set shot from 30. Yeah. So to me, that's an even better excuse to keep him as far away from uh, the goal as possible whilst also keeping him as a forward. Uh, any other positives uh, from, from you? Not really. No, <laughs> I just, I really struggled to yeah. find, Five good players. I thought Lever was good at the start, but he went downhill yeah. towards the end of the game. You know, even even the the reliable players, like we said, Salem was turning it over. Harms had a terrible disposal efficiency. Frost, I thought Frost was lively, but still, I mean, again, like we said, you got to take with the rough with the smooth. Like he did a couple of good things, and then he did a couple of bonkers things. There was one handball he did, which was one of the most powerfully hit handballs I've ever seen in my life. Like there's a looping handball and then there's this, which was covered the same distance as a long looping handball, but just went straight across at speed because he just absolutely punched the bejesus out of it. That was probably my next biggest highlight of the game. Sam Frost's handball. So it was a very disappointing evening going home. That was also a a major, a major uh, positive for me. I always like to compare our um, uh, player of the years to see how 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 Demon Land, uh, as opposed to your uh, the votes that you give each week. Uh, so who's leading your leaderboard at well, the moment? I've got Max up by five on Alden now. 
Yeah. So I did have all of the votes again. It was just I didn't think it was anywhere near one of his best games, but I thought he was still amongst the better players. So he did lose a bit of ground on Max. So Max has now got a full best on ground uh, lead on him in the award, and it's down to it's down to Max, Oliver, Harms, and Salem. But Harms and Salem are a long way behind, so they would be very lucky to uh, make up the distance. And so it looks down to a race of two in the in the Alan Jackovich medal. Well, uh, we've got uh, Maxi, Clayton, Oliver, uh, Salem is second, just ahead of uh, James. Uh, he's, sorry, Salem's third, just ahead of James Harms in fourth, and then uh, Angus uh, brings out the f- uh, fifth place, and he's well behind. He's like, uh, well, a long I've way got behind. Viney fifth, and Melchim still sixth, actually. <laughs> sorry, yeah, fifth and sixth. So it's funny. Melchim's Mel- still holding on. Melchim had been in our top ten, uh, tenth for a number of, of weeks, and he's just been sort of overtaken uh, yeah. in the last few. And um, you know, like Marty Hoare, uh is in there. Stephen May is just out of the top ten, and you know he's only played a handful of yep. games. So um, yeah, it's funny. It's good. To, it's good to get that validation that uh, I'm, I'm not just totally insane. And the <laughs> large community of Demonland basically aligns with what I've come out of this season as. Yeah. Uh, so look, I, I think Max. You'd have to be the favourite now, leading by leading by a full game with four to play, but at the same time, I wouldn't write off Oliver winning his third third in a row. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, uh, Rusey, I've got some audio that I'm going to play here. It's uh, just on two minutes, just over two minutes of audio. This is from Rusey on the couch last night. Um, put the sound up on that one moment. Here we go. Yeah, we're not going to ask you about uh, the Demons. I think you had your say oh, last week. Oh. But their percentage drop, Brownie, yeah. is horrific. It's the third worst since uh, 2000 or thereabouts. If you have a look at it, you've got Carlton when they got whacked with the salary cap, so they lost half their players. Collingwood and then Melbourne. I mean, it's just an yeah. amazing fall from grace. Yeah, along with that, they've clearly been the disappointment of the year. They've got the injury excuse, yeah. which we're going to give them, hopefully, that's it's been an anomaly year, but I want to know, Gaz put it on the table last week and you got some disappointment off your chest, which was fair enough. Ruzi, you're the coach there for three years. You set up this squad. What is the one thing, injuries aside, all those, the one bit of advice or the one thing that you think that Melbourne needs to fix up? Well, there's no recognisable brand. I mean, that's the disappointing thing from my point of view. I always, I always say contested footy defence because we, we know... This particular year, for whatever reason, most teams are turning the footy over. We talk about Richmond four. If they turn the ball over, they're safe behind the ball. If Melbourne turn the ball over, they just get scored against. And we've seen that for the last two years. They fixed it up at the end of last year. I, that's what I want to see. I, I don't really care. Not that I don't care. But players don't mean to kick it out of bounds on the fall. Players don't mean to miss a target. It's frustrating. But get your defence set up. Be hard to score against. And we know... That's the panacea yeah, do you, for its success. Do you see, so when I'm observing the game, I see it as distinctly different to the game style they played under, under you. Now, they're a younger side and developing, and obviously you're, you're trying to set the behaviours and standards. Do you see it that way? Well, I mean, I always find it hard to comment unless you're internally and seeing the vision that they're showing. So it's very difficult to know. What I'm seeing visually is disappointing. There's no recognisable brand at the moment of the Melbourne Footy Club. And they've won five games. I mean, it's, it's been a deplorable season. Mm. You know, there's no other way to... You can't sugarcoat it. Right. And I think with the injuries, if they had a one, 
you know, eight to twelve or something like that, you could justify. Yeah, but yeah. five wins with with the, with the talent they have is just unacceptable. Tom Morris. Well, that was Ruzy, and I think uh, Demon Land post a fire in the belly. Um, put it uh, put it down really well. He said, "Finally, Ruzy's uh, put on his veil of negativity." <laughs> um, quite damning uh, from the uh, from the ex coach. Um, it's not wrong. Oh, I thought we were mad for contested footy. Like oh, the the phrase or the term brand. Yeah, irritates me because it seems like such an enormous cliche, and it's again, it's something you'd actually like to sit down with a Rusey or another coach or some or a player or something and say, what does that actually mean? And I think he he went a little way to defining it in that conversation there, where he said, is it contested ball? Is it defence? Yeah. Uh, but I think that what we've been trying to do still is contested ball, but you can't just live on that alone. Like you can. And I know last year the view was basically win the contested ball and everything else will flow, but that doesn't work. It's like the 666. You can say the 666 has increased goals straight after a bounce, but then two minutes later you're back in the same situation you're always in. Same with contested ball. Around a pack, you can get it, but when the ball flings out and you're a player who turns around and just boots, boots it straight inside 50, contested ball doesn't mean anything anymore because the situation is no longer contested. It's the other side running unchallenged to the other end of the ground. So he's not wrong, but at the same time, I just, yeah, it rankles with me when people go on about brands, uh, when I think that you can't just define a team into one phrase or one way of playing. It's got to be a lot more complicated than that and, and maybe not. I thought it was funny that Jonathan Brown saying how, they weren't as defensive as when Rusey coached, and that's probably because we treated scoring like brain surgery in those couple of years. Mm. Uh, and admittedly, we did bring the scores against right down. But my God, we played some dull games uh, where we kicked, you know, three or four goals. So it's like, how far do you take it? You know, is that why we're trying to recruit every defender under the sun? Because we're going to go back to that and try and bring every game down to a a 45-50 slot fest uh, so we can still win, which is a, a quite a drop from last year where we were, were scoring freely at times at least. So, again, like I said, I don't think he's wrong, but at the same time, it all just seems a bit simplistic and, and soundbitey, to put it that way. So I'd like to go into more depth and un- understand his point a bit more. Uh, that, Getting that... back on. Get him on for another interview. Oh, I'd love, <laughs> I would, I would love to. Particularly after the year we've had, it'd be great to to, to sort of hear hear his thoughts on it. Um, see what I can do there. Um, the brand thing that that's a that's a good good one. Uh, staple has been the word brand has been brandished throughout his uh, his presses all year. And last year, I, I don't know if you, you recall, they used to sort of, and I used to hear it from the players, that's the Melbourne way, the Melbourne way. That that expression seems to have been rebranded, pardon the pun, to, to the brand um, thing. And um, hmm. interesting yeah, like to... I said, it's it's got to be, <laughs> in the real world, it's got to be more complicated. 
complicated than just that. We haven't, you haven't been on for a, a few weeks. Uh, we've had a long running thread on Demon Land about uh, is Goodwin the right guy? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on, on Goody? Um, are you writing him off now? Are you willing to give him, see what happens next year? Which camp are you in in terms of? Uh... I'm absolutely willing to give him next year. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But the chief amongst that is one, we can't afford to sack him. Uh, we are barely made a profit last year in the season we had last year. That was with Queen's birthday, with Anzac Eve, Fine. plus the two Northern Territories, right? So, that, but what we got out of that was we basically took over Casey. They put more money into the football department. So it's not, it's not as grim as it sounds. But I'm terrified of what our financial position result is going to be this year because I think it will actually be a bit ugly to be honest and in the future we're also chucking the pokies which is about two and a half million dollars of revenue every year so I don't think it's the time to just be making snap decisions and just necking someone just for the sake of it we have to give him next year we have to give him at least half of next year obviously there's variables to that if we're 0 and 10 half of next year is is you don't need to get to the halfway mark. But I just think that too much has gone wrong this year. I'm not happy with the way they're playing. And from an outside, ignorant perspective, I'd say I'm not happy with the way they're being coached. But I don't think there's anything to be gained now. Like, what are you going to do? Get Brad Scott? <laughs> Is that going to make a difference? Could It could make a difference. But also it could just be a costly turnover of, you know, getting a new bloke in just for the sake of it. It's not like going from from Neild to Ruse eventually, or it's not like the Dean Bailey scenario where he was rightly or wrongly sacked. He was right at the end of his contract. There wasn't a massive payout to be had. I just don't think that – I think it would be financially irresponsible to sack a bloke without giving him the chance to have a unencumbered shot at the preseason – and I also saw an, an article about Ruse today. Apparently, if you pay out coaches, it counts off your football department spend cap as well. So further handicapping any, um, you know, off-season changes we make, any assistant coach changes we make. I think that it has been really poor this season and I don't think he doesn't fill me with any confidence in, his, in the way he presents to the media. I think it's a lot of it seems very cliched and, very just with it just lacks uh what's it presence and lacks oomph but i think that he needs to have that run at the start of next year before we do anything hasty like there is really nothing to be gained now by swinging the axe on the bloke and you know people see that there's three other teams that have sacked their coach and seem to be playing well that, that won't last I guarantee you in three years' time, if all three of those assistants get those jobs, two of them will be uh, on the verge of people trying to sack them uh, in exactly the same way. So you, you can't take the caretaker coaches as a good example. And also the fact that it doesn't matter if we start winning now. You can win the last three games or four games now, and it's not going to mean squat for next year. I hope we do win a couple of them because I think that we need to get some positivity going into the off-season. But I think where we need to look is the, the total structure of the coaching department. And I assume that's what's going to happen with these people who have sort of been shunted mid-season. 
that they're going to go out and get new assistants. They're going to look at everything again, and they're going to come back next year, hopefully, with as close to a best 22 as possible. And then I'm happy to judge him then. But I know it's a it's a, a topic that fires people up. So I know there's a lot of people who want to just pull the pin now. But I just think for both football and for economic reasons, I don't think that's a sensible thing to do. I think we've got to try and spend some money to get some uh, decent assistant coaches. I really think we've got to try and go out and get uh, the best uh, there. Um, uh, look, I, I don't know in the end, it, it, assistant coaches, how, how much do they contribute to a team being up there? You'd think that it does have an effect. Um, so I want to try and get the best into into the club. Um, and I want to see play uh, assistant coaches who perhaps played in those positions yeah. <laughs> coaching. I don't yeah, know. That's I just mean, me. Uh, that's always seems bizarre to me, and that, it happens at the best clubs as well. So okay, <laughs> it's not just us, but you do get you do wonder how how these blokes get can can go and be an assistant coach to a a backman when they've played as a forward. Is it just like here's what I'd do? What would you do? And you know, pop quiz. <laughs> There must be a method to it because, like I said, if you look at look around the, the league, you'll find that a lot of players are assistant coaching in roles that they don't need to do. And again, I'd be interested in knowing about what assistant coaches do as well. This is these are all these mysterious things that you sort of when everything's going well, you don't care. You're just like I'm going to shut up and I hope everything goes well. But when everything goes wrong, you sort of want to know what is the life of an assistant coach? What impact input do they have for players? If you're you know, Harrison Petty, for instance, and suddenly you're playing up forward, do you have a forward coach? Does, do they go through the, the skills of the game or do they go through, you just take the mark, kick the goal, but what, you want, what we, want, we want you to do is to stand here or to run here and things like that. So that'd be a really interesting thing uh, to find out as well. What is the life of an assistant coach and how much do they impact the, the team? Yeah. Uh, I would love to find that out too. Um, uh, move on. Uh, Nathan Jones uh, this week or yesterday actually sort of came out. I'm assuming it's coming from the manager um, that he's been offered uh, a year at a much lower uh, rate uh, than he's currently on. Uh, obviously, he's not happy with that. Uh, where, where do you stand on, on Nathan Jones um, particularly because th- 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 there's no doubt that he's on the decline. Um, but just how m- far on the decline is he? And do you give him more than a year? Uh, um, two, maybe. Uh, I don't think three. So where do you stand there? Well, our first thing is I don't want to get hysterical based on something that is clearly been leaked. Yeah. For maximum impact by who? I wouldn't want to make accusations, but someone's someone's put that out this week in a week where they know that Melbourne fans are in a bad mood. Yeah. And will probably go crazy about screwing Nathan Jones. Therefore, hopefully, for the sake of whoever leaked it, encouraging the club to to give the other side what they want. So I would rather not know about these things until they actually happen, but just in general. I think two years is probably excessive at this time. Uh, I think if it's one year plus some kind of trigger for two years, fair enough. But I think one year is probably fair enough at this stage 
of the career. Like he's been okay this year, but as you say, yeah, he's hundred percent. He's on the decline. It, you know, no bloody wonder he spent 10 years carrying yeah. hundreds of different players on his back <laughs> only for them to piss down it. But it, you can't, you can't argue against, uh, against the facts, unfortunately, Money-wise, I would like to think that we could not screw him on that. Like, I would like to think our salary cap has not been wound so tight that we can't look after him for sentimental reasons for at least one year. Uh, If it is wound that tight, we'll be in trouble in a couple of years when some of these players start coming out of contract. Um, And obviously, there'll be money. You know, the lowest money will go out, presumably, at the end of the year as well. Like I said, I would play him for one more year, but on the understanding with him that like Vince and like Lewis, we're not guaranteeing you a spot in the 22 every week. And it would be so sad for someone like that who has been an absolute warrior to go out having to be played in the VFL. I would hate to see that, but I would, from my perspective, prefer to see that than him playing for another club. But if, you know, if they're, if they're unreasonable in their requests, and again, I think it's a negotiation that they're having. So of course they're going to ask for three years or two years or whatever. And the club's going to come back and they're going to jostle. They'll get there in the end. I'm sure we will re-sign him and it won't be a big deal, but I don't think we can guarantee that he'll be in our best 22 anytime soon. Um, one thing I've thought for the last few weeks, and it's probably going to be irrelevant now that Melksham is back, that why can not we try him as a forward? And I'm not talking about a key forward. I'm just talking about sort of a, again, a Petrarca style half forward, he can kick goals, and we just sort of have put him in that Vince Lewis backline graveyard of, you know, you're going to be retiring soon. We'll just stick you back here. I would love to have seen him just for one game, just be put forward and just see if he can kick goals. Look at that Sydney game where he kicked a couple of absolute rippers uh, from inside 50. He's definitely got goal sense. I think we've missed a big opportunity while our forward line has been absolutely terrible to give him a go and see whether we could um, get some value out of him in the next couple of years as a goal-kicking forward. Well, they played Lewis the last two weeks as a forward. It's the exact same thing. Um, You know, perhaps given given that we don't have much cattle on the park, if you're already playing Lewis there, you can't uh, can't play Jones there as well. I agree with you. If uh, Lewis wasn't down there, I'd maybe swing him forward. But I don't think... It seems like Lewis can't play in that... Jones position anymore uh, where Jones is now. So um, mm. interesting. Yeah, I don't think Lewis needs to be down there. That's the thing. Like, yeah. why, why is Lewis down there? Well, I think they put him this there. This is not an anti-Lewis. No, but I think they put him there uh, on uh, as a matchup for McGovern <laughs> to sort of try and yeah. uh, curb McGovern. And it didn't work this week because I think Carlisle sort of had the better of him in terms of mobility. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it didn't certainly didn't work this week. Lewis just looked uh, slow and out of it. Yeah, I, I just don't see the point when he's presumably not going to be there next year. Um, why he's why he's even in the it's a in person. the side at the moment? Well, it's it's funny because you could have uh, they obviously JKH is on the outs, uh, can't get a game. You'd think they'd maybe try him in the forward line. Uh, He's had a couple of weeks where they could have put him in into the team and they haven't, so you would think the writing on writing is on the wall there with him. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
Um, uh, back to, sort of back to J- Jones, uh, if he is only going to get a year and maybe part of that is that he may be playing in the twos, do you have a look at the captain structure? Do you, do you, um, do you strip him of the captaincy? Um, do you go still just Viney solo or do you look at someone new or go co-captains and probably promote Max who's probably the only other one? Uh, they could get the gig. I think stripping of the captaincy is probably a bit mm. emotive. Yeah. Language. You yeah, sorry. Yeah, I don't, you I'm... should get a job at SEN <laughs> with a clickbait style commentary <laughs> that like is, that. That's not my, uh, the views of out of coming out of my mouth and not necessarily <laughs> my own views. I'm, I'm just uh, putting forth, playing devil's advocate. Uh, yes. I, I, I certainly, I'm not comparing him to Gary Lyon, but I certainly would think that the Gary Lyon 98 manoeuvre, if he played on, would be the right thing to do. Concentrate on your game. Obviously, Lyon was coming off a lot of injuries and things like that before 98. But, yeah, give it over to someone else and, and concentrate on your game. Uh, I, I would certainly have Max in there. Uh, I think he's shown so much leadership the last two or three years, but potentially in a combo with Viney. I hate captain dual captains. Yeah, so I really I. wish we'd just go one out. So I secretly hope they do. Uh, but I also hope that I just want to be conscious that we don't burden Max and somehow <laughs> ruin him by giving him the captaincy, which I don't know why that would happen. But I just feel like I'm so scared that Max is going to go down or his, his form's going to go down that I don't want to do anything to, to jeopardise him. So I'll go for a Gorn Viney combo but I would be more than happy if we just had one, whoever it was. I uh, kind of wish that May hadn't had so many issues this year because I actually reckon he'd be good, not not as the, as the solo captain, uh, but certainly he's certainly going to be has to be in the leadership team next year. I don't care if he had a few points and got bloody in trouble and fined all that kind of stuff. I think on field he showed a lot of leadership, but yeah, let's let's say Gorn Viney. Um, all right, we'll just, uh, we'll move, move on. I didn't see any of the Casey game this week. I don't know really much that happened. I know Melksham, uh, we came from behind. Melksham, uh, returned, uh, Hall was back. We had a few players back, so, uh, that's good to see, but it's sort of cavalry's come sort of a little bit too late. So they actually did quite well to, to get back in it after, after, um, Sandringham looked like they were going to get away at one point. What I didn't understand, what really annoyed me was how Sandringham did not have a ruck. They just had some bloke having a go in the ruck, yet we still played Proust in the ruck. Isn't the whole point of Proust that we know he can ruck? We know he can tap the ball. We know he can do whatever else a ruckman does. He can usually take marks, um, except if he's in the forward line in Alice Springs. (laughs) Why didn't we play him forward? You had, I'm pretty sure, again, I, I flitted in and out of this game. I'm pretty sure they had Bradkey in the team as well. Give him the chance to ruck against a guy just having a go. Yeah. Give Bruce a chance to go forward and take marks. Kick the ball at him and see if he can take marks. Because as it stands, where what's the point of Bruce next year? Is he literally only there if something happens to Gorn? Because if we're just going to play him as the ruck and he can have 70 hitouts or whatever and play a good game, he... No doubt what I saw, he certainly played a good game. But what's that telling us? 
about his future. I, I really was disappointed by that because I think Casey is holding on to a slim to none chance of making the VFL finals. Oh, I think we need to start treating it as our development team, uh, which is exactly what we're paying for by the fact we took them over. We need to start using them to develop players as we want them for the future, if that is how we want Bruce to be played in the future. If everyone's just happy for him to be a, an emergency option for Gorn, then, you know, carry on. Win the list and medal for having 80, 80 hit-outs a week. But that doesn't help us when we need someone to go forward and take a mark. Yep. Um, changes for this week? Uh I mean, I, I kind of looking back at my post, I went bananas and again tried to sack everyone because I was in a bad mood. I had, what did I have? I had in Meltram, Candy Harris, May Lockhart, Dunkley, out Baker, Brayshaw, Lewis, McDonald, and Neil Bullen, and the Wag Knight Lucky to survive. And um, that was probably a bit harsh on some people, but I, I stand by the Brayshaw one. I, I think we need we need to do a sacrificial lamb big hitter dropping at some point this year because it seems to be like there's a lot of protected species in this team. And to me, he was he was terrible the other night, mm-hmm. I, I thought. He's, he's barely got a touch in the first half. And then the second half, it was all just hit and hope kicking into the forward line. I, I think they need to send a message. Uh, and I think he needs to be the one on the end of the message. Oh, well, we were, were dealt another uh, injury blow. Um uh, Sam Wiedemann's had a very unlucky year in terms of form and um, sort of being in and out of the uh, the team. Uh, we know that he got, uh, well, we thought he was just concussed, uh, got a knock early on in the game and uh, has had uh, surgery on his jaw and uh, yep. we'll be seeing. Apparently not, not actually diagnosed till the next day. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, well, when you're unlucky, you're unlucky. And that... you certainly want to run right this season off. I have heard a, a, a rumour around the traps that the, the family is not happy that it was not diagnosed on the day. Mm, well, yeah, I didn't hear that, but uh, I, wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It seems, seems like it's not the only family that hasn't been happy no, with that. Uh... They might get on the phone to Sean Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was uh, wanting to maybe contact him, but I thought it could be a bit controversial. <laughs> Um, the, the there's a player. Can I just say I don't want to go back twenty weeks, but well, yeah. I really had high hopes for Joel Smith as a forward this season. I think he would have been. It's like we lack that mid-sized forward who can take marks. Like Petrarch does it a little bit, and Melchin does it a little bit, but I really had high hopes for Joel Smith, and it's just so frustrating that he's missed the whole season because uh, I think he would have been good. So there's a player that. You know, you forget about that. He'll be hopefully back next year. If he doesn't well. seek, so that should he, be you know that should help. If he doesn't seek a trade out of the club, exactly, uh, or if he's not suing <laughs> us in the Supreme Court or something. But, but yeah, that 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 one's uh, you know that'll that that whole thing. You know, we don't know where they're going back on the ground. Um, you know worsened the injury to make it a season-ending injury. Yeah. We don't know that. Uh, we were all filthy about it at the beginning of the year. Let's hope that wasn't the case. If it was, it comes down to, I didn't have this down in the notes, but we, um, are you happy with the decision to, to go after this um, uh, Burgess, who's going to be our new high-performance manager? 
uh, yes, but who knows? That's the thing. Like these, everyone's like, oh yes, Burgess, we love Burgess, and it's like, in three years' time, we'll have a bunch of injuries, and it'll be get out Burgess, yeah, sack well. Burgess. We don't <laughs> want Burgess anymore. So the proof's in the pudding. I reckon. Hopefully, you can get him to uh, to run through a last quarter. Someone, someone did say something about Port Adelaide having a like they were fit, but they were, their hammies were exploding left, right, and centre. So you obviously got to strike that balance between running games out and running full stop by not injuring yourself. So yeah, again, I think it's a good thing. I'm assuming we're paying this guy uh, an absolute fortune to to come over, um, but we won't know for for at least one year, let alone two or three years, if he's the missing piece in the puzzle. Um, yeah, I, I had a mate who's a personal trainer. He said it, it, it possibly, um, if he pushes them too hard in the preseason, it could have, uh, it could have the reverse effect uh, that it uh, it might not be a great thing, but. I don't know. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I went through changes. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think we might uh, we might be done here. Anything else um, from you for the show or for the season? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done for the for 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 both for everything. I, I just this season can't uh, can't end uh, quick enough uh, for mine. I still just, miss it though. Yeah, Not I, the season itself, but in about you know, mid-October, it'll be like, oh, gee, I'd like, I wish the season was still going. Yeah, if we're if we're winning, <laughs> then uh, yeah. But this is maybe I was spoiled by last year, um, you know, because my wife actually said to me, "But you know, it's not that much different to all the other years." And I said, "But all the other years, I sort of had hope." Well, the last couple of years yep. maybe not if we go back to the <laughs> Neil era <laughs> but, yeah uh, but you, i know what you mean you've had you've had uh, dignity shown to you you now know what it looks like and he, then bang gone strip but even in the Neil era back to being a, a you know homeless bum drinking booze out of a paper bag even in the Neil era and maybe in the bailey there was always like that hope Next year is going to be different. It's going to turn around, yep. but I, I'm not looking at the moment. I seeing it was always it can't get worse. But for me, if I can't get worse, there's a possibility we finish 18th next year. Uh, <laughs> I, I, turn around. I think that I think that we will at a minimum be back to just on the outskirts of the eight. But who knows? Uh, are enough teams? Are enough other teams above us going to drop down? That's the thing. This year, we're actually for a seventeenth place team. We're a pretty good seventeenth place team, as as weird as that sounds. You've got a, you've got seventeen teams in the league who are pretty competitive, and then an eighteenth place team who's getting treated like the biggest fiasco of all time. When have they even lost a game by a hundred points? I know they've had a couple very close near misses to a hundred points, but it's they're not the worst wooden spooners of all time either. So it's such an even competition that, you know, do we do we think that teams are going to drop next year? Because it's one thing for us to start playing better, but we've got to pass a few teams as well. And, and you know, unless the Carlton bubble bursts and the St Kilda bubble bursts, Brisbane are, are gone, hopefully, unless they're going to, uh, unless they're going to bomb out like us after one year. They're, they're out of our league now. And you get, 
otherwise it's there's it's quite a big bunch in the middle of the middle of the table that's the teams we're going to have to contend with to make the finals next year and i don't know it's 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 hard to it's hard to imagine right now that we could make the finals next year but all we need is to you know to, to turn up for round 1 next year with our best team hopefully get a reasonable draw i'm not suggesting i just want to play the gold coast at the mcg cuz i think it's going to be some easy win but to play a team in that bracket, I'd love I'd love another shot at St Kilda round one next year with our best side, or oh, well, the Bulldogs round one next year with our best side, and then we can start judging from there. So I wouldn't write it off, but I certainly I'm not as bullish as of us bouncing back as I was sort of about six weeks ago. There's certainly going to be a lot of one ten games, four forty games. Um, yep, AM probably <laughs> on the agenda next year. So uh, look at that. I, I don't think we'll get a Friday night game. We'll be lucky. Maybe they'll throw us one. Might get a Thursday night game, but uh, yeah. Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Sundays. You keep your Sundays free. Over. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, I think uh, that we're going to leave it uh, there for, for the night. Thank you, uh, Super Mercado, for, for joining us. I believe you're going to be back uh, next week. Could be, a, could be yep. a very, very nasty, dirty one. Could be ugly. Could be defamatory. Uh, can you imagine if we uh, pull a win out of it? How good would that be? <laughs> Dreams. I can dream for another week. All right. Uh, we'll catch you, everyone, next week. Um, back same time, uh, same channel. Go Dees.